And I say that as one who has overheated on a run before. Okay. I was in high school and decided no pain, no gain. You know, being 15 years old, I was really at the height of my intellectual capacity, so to speak. <laughs> you know, went out for a run. I decided I'll force myself to make it all 20 miles. I'll go out 10 miles. You that did a 20-mile run in high school? Like I said, peak of my intellectual capacity. Right. And then run back into the tent. You can probably see where this is going to about. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance and Casey the Travel Planner. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in the Atlanta area. And I'm Patrick Ollinger, also an endurance coach and athlete here in Atlanta. You know what would really throw people off is like for our next podcast, if you did the introduction. Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah, all right. So, so spoiler alert, next time we'll get Patrick to actually introduce <laughs> it. But uh, uh, happy summer, everybody. Um, uh, we're fully into the summer months now, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, so we uh, are looking at triathlons taking place. We have our eyes on the Peachtree Road Race on July 4th, and it's getting hot, certainly here in Atlanta. Um, and so that's going to lead us into uh, talking a little bit about today's topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and today's topic is running in the heat, running in the summer, right? So, that's right. Last Monday was Memorial Day, and if you're a runner in the South, you know that means it's time for summer training, which is synonymous with heat, humidity, and lots of exhaustion. Most pleasant exhaustion, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I, I went out for I, I, I went out for a run a little while ago. I mentioned this on the last podcast, and, and I, I essentially had gotten out of habit. And what's weird, too, um, and everybody's been saying this on Facebook, whether they're athletes or not, um, and, and everywhere else, is that we kind of... We had a very short spring this year. We kind of went from it was really cold, and then now it's hot. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went from you know pretty much being able to run any time of day, and now you can't run at four o'clock in the afternoon in Georgia anymore unless you're prepared to get really hot. Right. Um, and so so yeah, I, th- I think those of us, I think a lot of us have kind of made the mistake. You're not running a whole lot right now, and so so when you start running again, you know, last time you were running a whole bunch was getting ready for the Boston Marathon in early April. So, literally, the last time I went for a run for more than 30 minutes was the Boston Marathon. Yeah. And let's just say it wasn't hot that day. <laughs> <laughs> right? And then, and then now, the next time you go out for a run that's more than 30 minutes, it's going to be upwards of... You can't go in the afternoon. No. And, and even when you go in the morning, it's going to be upwards of 75 degrees. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot warmer here. So... Um, so we want to talk a little bit about the heat. We want to want to offer some some adjustments that you should make and all that sort of thing. Now, I, I did want to 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 um, harken back to a podcast that that I recorded before Patrick joined me on, on the podcast. Oh, that reminds me, real quick. Uh, this is our fiftieth podcast. Oh, wow! This is the fiftieth edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast, and I can say that since we've uh, since we've turned up the volume of podcasts that we're cranking out since you joined the podcast team here, Patrick, I believe, even though I have to double check, I believe that you've been here for roughly about half of them. Um, so, That's right. Uh, yeah. So you are you are a firmly in part, entrenched part of the podcast now uh, as we reach this this fifty podcast milestone. So. So congrats, Patrick. Ah, thank you. It's been yeah. fun. Yeah, right on. I agree. We'll have to, to, to raise a glass afterwards. Anyway, um, uh, so harkening back, though, to, to a podcast from, from last year, um, it was actually about racing last year, and, and I, I um, talked in the podcast about some research that would suggest why it is you're going to be able to go faster in your race than mm-hmm. you are going to be able to go in your training. Um, it was called Race Prep, I think was the name of the, the podcast episode, around 25, 26, something like that. Um, and, and in that, I, I made several points about, about here's why you're going to go faster in your race. 
Number one, because the race course is going to be probably flatter. Number two, because of accumulated fatigue. Number right. three, because, you know, a few things like that. But one of the things I also talked about was the weather. Um, and this was kind of going into the fall, and all of us had been training in, in the heat, and all of us had been struggling with the humidity and stuff. And, and I made the point, you're going to run faster on your race day than you are in your training because the weather is going to be better on your race day. It's, at least it's likely to be better on your race day. Right. Right. Um, and and in that, in kind of making that point, I mentioned a couple of quick studies. And I'll mention them again here real quickly. Um, the first one is a 2012 study that analyzed the results of six marathons. The Paris Marathon, the London Marathon, the Berlin Marathon, the Boston Marathon, Chicago, and New York from 2001 to 2010. And so 10 years, six marathons, that's 60 marathons total they, they, they looked at their results of. And so that means they analyzed the performances of 1,791,972 participants. So a pretty massive amount of data here that they were uh, they were evaluating. Um, and they also gathered five factors for each of the 60 races. The temperature, the humidity, the dew point, the atmospheric pressure at sea level, and the concentrations of four atmospheric pollutants. Um, and bottom line, they found that, that the air temperature, the actual temperature of the race, um, was the single biggest factor that determined how people ran. Um, had the biggest influence, the biggest correlation on on the times in the race, um, and what's more, it was correlated for everybody. They they actually separated the racers out into like men's elite, women's elite, men top ten percent, women's top ten percent. They kind of went, went all the way down, all the way to the back of the pack, and they found that at every single level, air temperature slowed down people's times. There yes. was nobody who was faster when it was hotter. Period. Um, and this is again Paris, London, Berlin, Boston, Chicago, New York. These are these are marathons that tend to have pretty good conditions, right? With the exception maybe of Boston, as we were just talking about, right? right. Um, but the, these tend to be be pretty good condition marathons here. Uh, and so, so generally speaking, with the exception once again of Boston, we don't tend to have over the course of that ten years like a thirty to sixty degree swing, right? We're not talking about like a really hot day versus a really cold day. We're talking about most of them were probably hovering right around 40 to 60 degrees. Um, and to a, to a group, um, people did more poorly when, when uh, the temperature was higher. Um, time slowed down and DNFs increased. Um, humidity was a second parameter with an impact on performance. They also found that. Um, it was, uh, interesting enough, it was significantly correlated with the women's front runners and for all the performance levels of men. And so... Women, besides the front runners, don't tend to be as profoundly influenced and slowed down as much by humidity as they do by temperature, but all men tend to be slowed down a little bit more by humidity. I'm not sure exactly why that is. But then none of the other factors, dew point, atmospheric pressure, and concentration of the four atmospheric pollutants, none of those were actually significant. None of those had, had a, a huge impact on performance. Um, and then I also talked about a 2016 study that analyzed the effect of humidity. Um, they took 11 runners and they had them run steady for 60 minutes. Um, and then run hard to exhaustion. So they ran steady and then ran hard. Um, and, and they did it in a couple of different um, conditions. Uh, they did all of them at 87 degrees, so hot, right? Uh, 31 degrees Celsius. But they did it at different humidities. They did five different humidities, 23% humidity, 43% humidity, 52% humidity, 61% humidity, and 71% humidity. And then they measured body temp, cardiac output, heart rate, stroke volume. 
Um, and they found that runners had a significantly higher body temp uh, during the steady state exercise in the 61 and the 71% humidity compared to that of the 23%. So even just running easy, your core temperature is going to go whole, up a whole lot as, the, as the, the humidity goes up, even though the air temperature is the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the time to exhaustion um, was significantly reduced at 61% and 71%. And so both the easy running and the hard running were, were, were heavily influenced by high levels of humidity here. Um, and then in general, there was more circulatory stress and more thermoregulatory thermo issues. Um, and they said, quote, this study highlighted that in a warm environment, the range of the prescriptive zone progressively narrows as relative humidity increases. In other words, uh, there's less room for error in terms of temperature, in terms of pace, and that sort of thing as humidity goes up. Um, and so the higher the humidity the tougher it's going to be. Your core temperature is going to go up. You're going to have more thermoregulatory issues, um, and you're going to have less room for error as far as pace and all that sort of thing. So anyway, as we're talking about that, that's something that to, to, to kind of background a little bit. Humidity matters. Heat matters a lot. Yeah, and, and matters not just for racing, but for steady states, for tempo runs, for interval workouts, and even for easy runs. Absolutely. Um, and so that's certainly something you know that's important to know. Um so to kind of start with our first point really is kind of Captain Obvious, but it's simply that it's going to be hot and heat is going to significantly affect your ability to run or ride fast or ride or run at a certain pace, mm-hmm. right? So if you're used to saying, I want to, I always do my Monday runs at eight flat pace, I'm just making up a number, mm-hmm. you're probably going to have to adjust that heading into the summer because mm-hmm. it's going to require much more physical exertion to reach um, that same time. Uh, you know... And to, to kind of talk to about about that and kind of how to uh, to to embrace the heat from a general perspective, right? So we know it's going to be hot, and we know it's, the heat's going to affect us. You know, it, it's not uncommon for to be at the track or at a group run, not to say I say, but any group run, and have people talk about the heat mm-hmm. from May first through September fifteenth. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is hot, it is humid in Georgia. Um, there's no getting around it. It's kind of part of you know, life at, in the South, so to speak, or in the Southwest, you mm-hmm. know, if you're in Texas or something. Mm-hmm. But the good news is, even though it affects how you, your ability to put in good, strong training days in terms of like what your specific time is on a given five mile run or 10 mile run, etc. The good news is it's very similar to altitude training or hill training and mm-hmm. that your time may not be as fast as it was in the winter on the same course, same effort, etc. But you're still getting in the same benefits from that training and you're still building towards your a race or your goal race in the same way you would be at maybe a slightly faster time in cooler temperatures so that's one thing to think about when you're kind of planning out how you want to approach the heat how you want to approach your training in the heat and in the summertime is that you know your body only knows time and effort it doesn't necessarily know all right i did this 10 mile run in we'll say an hour t- or 70 minutes in the wintertime, now I'm doing an eight or minutes in the summertime, therefore I'm slower overall than I was, or not as fit as I was in the wintertime. So it is something to think about. Like I said, I always view it similar to altitude training or hill training in that it's going to affect the times that you see on Strava, on training peaks, etc. Um, but the, the key is to not, you know, develop any sort of FOMO, you know, right. in terms of comparing yourself to your winter training and then which Strava is bad about, man. Which, which which Strava will definitely contribute to that. Yeah, and so you know you you've heard you've heard heat and humidity referred to as a southerner's altitude or as a poor right. man's altitude or something like that. And and in terms of physiology, there is some degree of physiology that that actually uh, 
you know, you, you do get a benefit from it. Um, but the more important takeaway, I think, is, is, is kind of what you're saying about um, you should run by feel. You know, if you go to 5,000 feet of altitude, you shouldn't expect to feel as good as you're running um, as you do at sea level. You shouldn't right. expect to, and nobody does. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same thing. You shouldn't expect to, you know, to use your example, to be able to do your, your Monday night run at eight minute pace in, in the heat as you do in the cool. Um, you just shouldn't expect to. You, you, you should say, okay, that's going to be eight. That's going to, you know, it's eight minutes during the winter. It's going to be eight thirty during the summer, whatever it happens to be. Um, and so, to me, and we, we've kind of started talking about the adjustments and the recommendations we have here. And so, so that would be the first one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is to slow down and to expect to slow down. Um, it, it, it actually. Um, it points to sort of a larger thing that you and I have talked about before, and that's running by feel. Yeah. Um, and and I think that there's a lot of folks who um, are in triathlon in particular, um, or who have who didn't grow up running a whole lot and kind of came to it as adults, who are very data driven, very data dependent, mm-hmm. um, and and they look at um, they look at all the data and they think the data determines. Um, everything about the quality of a workout and, and, and what physiologically ultimately is going to be its impact on your body. Um, and, and all the data companies kind of fuel that. Right. Stra- Strava fuels that. You know, on Strava, I upload a run and it says trending faster or trending slower. And I, yeah, well, yeah, it's trending slower. It's getting hotter. <laughs> right. You know, um, but, but, um, but uh, Training Peaks has started doing the same thing. Training Peaks will actually give you like little medals. Hey, you set a new PR for for uh, 400 meters, or this is your second fastest for you know all that sort of thing. Um, and so uh, Garmin Connect, I think, does something similar in in that they let you know how fast you're going over certain segments and and whether you're improving based solely on the pace, not on the temperature and all that other thing. Um, and and if you become overly reliant upon that, you, you're 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 ultimately doing yourself a disservice. Um, you do need to learn how to run by feel. And I think those of us who started doing these things when we were too young to either afford the data or, or, before, or, it was or, invented. or before the data was even invented, um, those of us who, who learned to run by feel, um, I think, are, are ultimately probably going to be in a better place when it comes to, to, to running in the heat. Yeah, so, and the big thing, like I said, is to really kind of take the long scope and, is, and look at, this is a way to make yourself stronger. It's it, what you do in training is not necessarily completely parallel with your race fitness, right? Because there, there are all kinds of conditions that, that affect how you train, how fast you can train, etc. And we, you, know, you do need to take the heat into account and, and run by feel. Quick side note on the uh, Strava and competition it can create. I actually got an update just now. You probably heard it on the phone. <laughs> Apparently, I lost a CR. Listen to this. It's a one-mile co- uh, course in my neighborhood, and the guy who did it apparently did it in a minute and 47 seconds. Oh, yeah, that went in a car. So I, I'm i going to venture a guess to say, he, in the picture of his avatar, he's on a bike. Either <laughs> <laughs> So, I don't know. I just I thought I'd throw that out there. Um, I'd, I'd say chances are pretty good that, uh, that, that, that by the end of the day, you're still going to be the holder of that CR. Um, but anyways, uh, back to how to manage the heat. So once you kind of view heat, at, kind of reframe how you view heat and say, all right, it's, it's, it's actually kind of helping me build um, greater resistance to heat exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Um, then the key is how do you manage heat and in a way that's practical and allows you to get in the necessary training with A, out overheating, right? This is You don't want to take the no pain, no gain approach and, and end up, you know, in the, well. you know with needing medical attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can talk about how you manage the heat 
um, in addition to, you know, kind of running, running by feel. Um, and the first thing, obviously, is to make sure you hydrate before you even start the workout. Um, a lot of athletes are concerned about hydration during the workout or about carrying a water bottle and sipping on water during the workout, during the ride, during the run, etc. Um, but kind of the, the lost hours, the unseen hours, are the, the 22 to 24 hours leading up to the run itself or in between your last workout and your upcoming workout. Um, and if you're not drinking enough water and electrolytes throughout the day and you're going into the workout without a full tank, so to speak, and you just start sipping on water 30 minutes beforehand on the car ride there or, or during the race, then you're a day late and a dollar short, so to speak. So the first thing I would say when I talk to people when, in terms of training for the summertime and training in the heat, it's have a hydration plan. It doesn't have to be any, you know, some huge standard operating procedure, but just have a general goal each day. Um, and one of the big things I tell people is try to drink about a gallon of water per day, regardless of, of what your run is. Try to get in at least a gallon um, just to stay hydrated. Because if you wait until you're thirsty, so to speak, it's already a little bit too late from an endurance training perspective. Yeah, and, and, and we should say there, we, we've, been, we've been critical in this podcast before about the idea of being overly prescriptive around eight glasses of water a day and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so when you, when you say a gallon, which that's about eight glasses a day, or not, it's a little less than that, I guess. But anyway, uh, when you say a gallon, you, you're kind of referring to that just sort of as a starting point. Just kind of say, okay, drink a gallon, see what happens, and then... If that's too much, then then adjust. If that's not enough, adjust further. Exactly. Right? I, I, I and, and I agree with you on that. Um, you know, in my my notes when we were we were uh, preparing for the podcast, I, I wrote drink both when you're exercising when you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so so yeah, by all means, you should stop when you when you're exercising. When I was um, when I was first running when I was a senior in high school and I was first going through the summer there, I thought that there was real shame in, in stopping when you would run. And so mm-hmm. like I would see somebody I would know. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, "Hey, George," I'd be like, "Hey," and I keep running. Right. And you know, and, and thinking that that once you start, you can't. You once you once you started running, you couldn't stop. I felt the same way for for drinking on, on a run, even mm-hmm. on a long run in the summer. I would think that that no, you're not supposed to stop, and so you're not really supposed to stop and get water. And when I learned my lesson about that was actually I went for a run towards the tail end of the summer between my senior year in high school and my freshman year in college. I went with my coach my new coach from Georgia Tech and one of my new teammates who was a couple years older than me and we're running along we get we get half an hour into the run and we cold stopped and drank out of a water fountain right and I was like oh you can do this <laughs> right <laughs> I didn't know um, but but you but 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 you should be drinking certainly when you're exercising it's perfectly legitimate to, to stop in a run and, and drink um, cyclists don't tend to have that problem because you have all the bottles right right but 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 even even uh, cyclists um, you should probably can't carry enough with you you know, stop during your ride refill your bottles go to the convenience store get an extra bottle of water and drink that along the way um, but then back to your point though about about when you're not um, yeah you, if, if you go into a run in a in a less hydrated state or you go into a bike ride in a less hydrated state um, you're not going to become more hydrated during the exercise training session no right it's it's it's, it's literally impossible to do um, during the summer in the south, um, and so so you are literally kind of like you say a, a day late and a dollar short. You're, you're starting two steps behind, um, and you're not going to be able to make that up. And so you need to go into at least hydrated, if not a little bit hyperhydrated, prior to, to, to the actual start of the workout. Um, so first thing we said, slow down, and and I like what you said about kind of like cognitively reframe it mm-hmm. um, around around. Okay, I'm actually getting a benefit from this. 
similar to as if I went to run in Boulder for a month. And so it's okay for me to slow down a little bit, right? Run by feel. Slow down, run by feel. Two, drink both when you're exercising and when you're not. Can I take number three? Go ahead. All right, number three would be um, uh, to don't do longer or high-intensity workouts during the heat of the day. Um, uh, do them early in the morning or late in the evening. Um, now, I recognize that, that not everybody really has that sort of flexibility, um, that people work jobs or something else that, that may force you to, to actually be doing your longer, high-intensity workouts during the heat of the day. If you fall into that category, I refer you back to the very first thing we said and, and keep in mind going slower and, and running by feel. Um, but, but rework your schedule during the summer such that you are, in fact, taking advantage of, of those cooler times of day. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the caveat to this, I, I would add, is that if you're going really early or really late when it's dark and you're not accustomed to running in the dark, kind of keep that in mind. Um, uh, you know, be, be, be careful the first few runs that you end up doing in the dark um, if you're not accustomed to running in the dark. Um, but if you can run in the cooler parts of the day, if it's possible for you to, to, to uh, do your training sessions, particularly your long runs or your hard runs or your long bikes or your hard rides, uh, bikes um, during less hot times of the day, you should totally do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and on a similar note, and I'll let, then I'll let you talk, um, don't be afraid of being indoors. Um, I, I joke with my wife, I use my treadmill more in the summer than I do in the winter. <laughs> right. And that's that seems that seems counterintuitive. Oh, the weather's worse, so I'm going to use my, my, my treadmill. Uh, from a running point of view, the weather is worse when it's 90 degrees than it is when it's 30 degrees and raining. Mm-hmm. Um from a running point of view it is. So I am much more likely to go on my treadmill when it's 90 degrees and sunny than I am when it's 30 degrees and raining. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, what do you have? I, th- I would add two quick sub points to that. And number one is it does tend to be cooler in the morning than the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the earth is essentially an oven. Mm-hmm. And once the sun goes down, it starts to cool off. Mm-hmm. And the moment the sun comes back up, it starts to reheat again. Mm-hmm. So the morning does tend to be cooler than the evening. Mm-hmm. And to kind of build on to your point, I think you, you kind of built on. So originally we said view the heat almost similar to hill training and altitude training and that it can actually strengthen you even if your times or your distance aren't as um, high as they were you know, in the, in the wintertime. But then the caveat is you want to train in, you can train in the heat and kind of build up um, some heat tolerance. However, overheating does nobody any good. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to kind of build some level of, um, you know, uh, strength in the heat. But if you're overheating, you need to just stop and because mm. you're not getting anything out of your training at that point. Right. And so it's important to, to consider that when you, A, plan when you're going to run. Mm-hmm. Also plan how much and how far you're going to run mm-hmm. and prepare yourself for the run. Because mm-hmm. once you start to overheat, you're not getting any training benefit out of it. Yeah. That's when the no pain, no game mentality goes out the window, so to speak. Agreed. Agreed. Um, it's it's worth mentioning, and we're gonna we're gonna we'll go ahead and segue into the next point here in just a minute about acclimatization, um, since you kind of mentioned that one. Um, but it, but it's also worth mentioning here. Um, research has also shown that that the best time of day, from in terms of your in terms of your sleep patterns and recovery, the best time of day to actually do a workout is in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Now most most adults who have jobs can't just you know leave at three o'clock in the afternoon and go to cross country practice the way that we did when we were in high school, right? Um, and so the second best and a very close second best is working out first thing. Mm-hmm. Um, now that takes some adjustment, I think. It takes some some psychological adjustment um, to be able to to get up, to get out of bed, to go and to run hard or to ride hard 
or to swim hard first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that, 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 that takes some, some psychological adjustment. And I, and I will grant anybody that because I'm not a morning person either. Um, but the, by far the, the worst of the three options is actually right before you go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why is not because physically it's worse. You might feel great, but rather because um, the elevated heart rate and the elevated core temperature makes it difficult for you to relax afterwards. Um, and you have a hard time sleeping. And of course, as we've talked about at great length before in this podcast, sleeping is a key component of recovery. Um, and so, so do be mindful of that too, I would say, mm-hmm. like as you're playing it out. I, I think we're totally pointing everybody towards morning workouts here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, that, and that's okay. See if we can pick up a theme here. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm going to be doing, uh, you know, summer day, I'm going to be doing, uh, I'm going to be doing my workout today uh, in, in, in the afternoon, but I'm going to be doing it on a treadmill. Like I said, I use my treadmill more during the summer than I do during the, uh, during the winter. Um, all right, so, so then let's segue into that next point then. Um, acclimatize. Mm-hmm. Um, take time and, and, and let yourself acclimatize. Let, 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 let yourself become comfortable to it. Um, particularly if, like us here in Atlanta, you didn't really have a spring. That Suddenly it's hot. Or like Patrick, who we talked about, who the last time he ran for more than half an hour was, was 30 degrees. Uh, and raining, um, Patrick is not going to expect, nor should he expect, to go out on that first run and feel just great and be totally acclimatized. In fact, um, it's going to take him a couple of weeks to really get to a place where he's feeling comfortable enough in the heat. And so allow yourself time to gradually acclimatize. Now, there is such a thing as acclimatization. There is such a thing as actually becoming more, more accustomed to the heat. Um, you can make physiological changes that help you dissipate heat more readily. And if you're training for a hot race, your coach, including me and Patrick, may at times have you actually do things that, that, that speed the acclimatization process. Um, but let's not get it twisted and let's don't be dumb about it. Yes, you can acclimatize. Yes, you should gradually allow yourself to acclimatize. Um, but, but don't say, oh, well, I'm going to have a hot race, and so I'm going to go and expressly, purposely run at 3 o'clock in the afternoon every single day to get ready to acclimatize myself for this race. Um, uh, kind of like what Patrick just said here, that, that once you cross over into heat exhaustion, um, uh, you're not doing yourself any good. Right. Um, and, and if you're going out and being super race-specific, getting ready for a heart race by, by running in the, in the heavy heat every single day, that's going to take enough out of you day over day and week over week that you're actually going to have a difficult time recovering and being ready for your race itself. And so, so yes, there is such a thing as acclimatization. And yes, you can promote acclimatization, um, but you need to be patient about it. Um, and and uh, you need to recognize that it's tough on your body um, and, uh, and you need to recover from it. Yeah, and even, not just the recovery, but also the quality of the workout itself can really suffer. Like, if you decide, I'm going to go out and run in sweatpants and a hoodie or something mm-hmm. during the heat of the day, because like we said before, what your body knows is time spent working out and effort, mm-hmm. right? So it knows time and effort. So if you go out in, in the, the heat of the day, you're probably not going to make it more than 30 minutes or so at a decent effort. Mm-hmm. So you've really lost, you know, roughly 30 minutes from an hour, mm-hmm. you know, or half of your hour-long run, et cetera. You know, and that really starts to add up when you lose that kind of quality. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the big goals for, for training in heat is to give yourself the chance to put in a quality workout with the knowledge that the quality workout isn't going to have the same numbers associated to it as maybe a, a workout in the wintertime or in cooler temperatures. Mm-hmm. 
So give yourself a chance, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. Um, that segues into the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next one is to make sure you're recovering. Yes. And to allow yourself time to recover. Um, there was some research in 2015 where they actually looked at various sleep variables mm-hmm. um, and how well people recovered and slept, in particular, after working out in the heat. And what they found is that at every variable, in, in terms of how often you were getting up and down during the night, um, your sleep latency, um, uh, the quality of your sleep, the time spent in REM, all of those things were compromised by having exercised in the heat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so given the fact that, that most of the rebuilding and recovering that happens uh, from endurance sports takes place while you're actually asleep, if your sleep is compromised, that's going to, to determine how well you're actually able to recover. So keep that in mind as well, too. Um, so, so that's not just like a daily thing, but that's also like a, a, a mesocycle thing. As mm-hmm. you're looking at the amount of fatigue that you're building during, during hot times of year, recognize it's going to take you longer to actually recover from all of those things um, because you're going to have a difficult time sleeping and you're going to have a difficult time um, dissipating and growing stronger as a result yeah. of that accumulated fatigue. And then kind of along those same lines, I don't have this study offhand, but I know that the, the literature on ice baths after run is kind of mixed, right, in terms of how much it helps you recover. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what they have found is that an ice bath after a hot run can actually really enhance the recovery process mm-hmm. because then your body does not spend all night focusing on cooling itself off. Mm-hmm. You cool yourself off immediately, and then it kind of focuses its energy on rebuilding your muscles. So, so that piece of research I was just talking about, they actually did that. Yeah. They, they actually cooled people. And they found that, that while that did improve the quality of the sleep, it was still compromised quality. Mm-hmm. So, so exercising the heat, then, then icing or, or actively lowering the body temperature, and then going to sleep, you, you, you were able to sleep better than if you didn't, but you still weren't able to sleep as well as you could if you, if you didn't exercise in the heat. Right, still not at 100%. So, so, yeah, so you're, so, so you're still compromised. So the point still stands, even though, though yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, yeah, and I think that actually transitions us nicely into to one of our, our next big points, and that is that we talked a lot about hydration, but there's a difference between staying hydrated and staying cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we tend to think about those as the same, or at least I tend to think about them as the same thing because, you know, we think about drinking water, you know, yada, yada. But... One of your big goals when you're training in the heat is to allow, try to keep your body from overheating and from getting above a, a temperature that you can't control and it makes you stop. So do things like wear light clothing. Um, try to run in the shade if possible. You know, I'm a huge fan of trail running in the summertime because it allows you to run longer, run further mm-hmm. um, without overheating. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing, too, to think about is maybe avoid having a cup of coffee before a training run or a training ride if you usually have that in the morning because that does kind of elevate your, your body temperature, even if only slightly, yeah. before you even start exercise. So what, yeah, so what you're getting to now is, is kind of is the idea of core temperature, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so there's effectively three reasons why the heat actually will, will, will affect you. One is because it raises your core temperature. Two, because it diverts blood to your skin in order to cool it. Yep. And three is because of dehydration. And, and I, think that's, I think it's very interesting what you just said and very important what you just said, that dehydration is only one-third of it or it's only one of three factors, right? Mm-hmm. And so you can hydrate, you can drink, drink, drink. And we talked about that already at great length just a few minutes ago. But, but even with that, you're only going to be addressing one of the three factors, even right. if you drink really well. And, and core temperature is, I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, that's, that's, you know, imagine what you feel like when you try and run with a fever. I mean, that's what you're talking about, essentially, um, that, that, that you're going to feel bad and your core temperature is going, going to, to rise, even if you're well hydrated. 
Um, so yeah, I, I, I would agree with the things you're talking about. Um, let, and let's actually talk about both of those. Um, first is wearing the right clothes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, the, you know, not a whole lot of clothes, um, technical fabrics. Um, keep in mind how sweat works. Sweat evaporates all of your, off your body and it takes heat with it when it evaporates. Um, and so if you don't believe me, take a minute right now, lick your hand and blow on it and it feels cool. It's because it's, it's, that, that's the cooling effect that sweat actually does. Um, and so, so that means dump water on your body and when, when, when it actually evaporates off your body, uh, that will help. That's the reason why it doesn't evaporate as, as readily in, in humid, in humid temperature, in high relative humidity. So it doesn't have as much of a cooling effect, which is the reason why humidity is such a big deal. Um, but, um, you know, we talked about, about tech fabrics and, mm-hmm. and when I was, when I was a, a, um, an undergrad, I used to always wear a shirt and I pretty much always wore cotton shirts because technical fabrics hadn't really been developed just yet. Right. Um, and, and given that, and given the fact that I had been fairly successful, once tech factor fabrics did come around and people were such big converts to them, I was kind of skeptical. Mm-hmm. Um, but te- technical fabrics, there is some science there. The idea is that, that that sweat can pass off of your body through the technical fabric and be evaporated more readily than it can in a, a string, a not tech fabric, than a cotton t-shirt. Cotton t-shirt, it doesn't it doesn't pass through and evaporate the same way. It just sits in the cotton instead, um, and and thereby it's actually hotter. Um, so yeah, wearing the right clothes, exposing some skin that you can, not wearing a whole bunch of clothes. Um, um, Keeping in mind, of course, the dangers of sun exposure. Um, uh, that stuff, that stuff matters too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And kind of a lot. You, you mentioned the the the, the, high, the tech T-shirt. I'm also a fan of wearing hats in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Hats and visors. Um, some folks have asked me, well, doesn't covering your head keep more heat in? Because you know, like that's why in the wintertime we wear like the skull caps, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but the cooling of the skin actually makes a big difference with the visor that kind of helps block the mm-hmm. sun from your face. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, you know, if you wear a light enough hat, it's not keeping, you know, the, the heat in. Um, and think about it this way, too. There's a reason everyone at, at Rio is wearing a hat. Rio Olympics, that is, yeah. right? There's a reason that, you know, most elite athletes are wearing hats and visors during their hot races. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to wear a black hat, obviously, or, mm. you know, a, a thick cap, mm. but I've, I've definitely been one who starts to incorporate that into my own training regimen, um, or into my own kind of training routine when thinking about running. Yeah. You wear, you wear, you wear a white hat, white reflects heat and reflects light. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's made of a technical fabric so that sweat is still able to pass through it and evaporate and cool your head. Um, it can actually be cooler to wear a hat. Yeah. Um, I think it also has a psychological effect. Um, we talked about Chris McCormick on the the last one, uh, podcast, and he said that that when he puts on a visor and sunglasses when he goes out for a run in a triathlon, particularly in, a, in an Ironman, he said it's like going into his own little cave. Yeah. My wife, my wife has said the same thing that she feels like putting herself in the dark cools her off. Um, I agree. When, 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 when You're not squinting at the asphalt. Yeah. 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 She, she she says it has a psycho a powerful psychological effect and actually cools her off a little bit. Um, which, which I think is probably legitimate as well. Um, yeah, uh, last piece I'll last, last adjustment I'll offer, and then well, I have two more pieces to offer, but and then then, then we'll let Patrick offer his last ones. I would also say watch your alcohol and medicine use. Mm-hmm. Um, and so alcohol, antihistamines, antidepressants, those things all can have a dehydrating effect. Um, and so so do make sure that that, that you're kind of balancing that back out with everything else. 
um, that, that in the midst of, of, of if you're drinking heavily a big day at the lake or something like that don't just go out and, and figure that, that, that you're going to be able to run just like you always do uh, yeah, same the, thing if you have allergies and you're taking antihistamines that sort of thing yeah I'd say yeah the summertime you know it's lighter later it tends to include a bit more happy hours a bit more patio time right. just be cognizant of that yeah. you know my kind of rule of thumb is if I do ha- go to a happy hour just drink an extra glass of water mm-hmm. or an extra analogy of water between mm-hmm. happy hour and your next run mm-hmm. yeah very good final thoughts Sure. I, one final thought. Um, we talked about this between hydrating and overheating. If you are overheating, then the move to make is to reduce your body heat as quickly as possible rather than trying to simply drink water or get hydrated. Mm-hmm. That sounds obvious, but I, I did want to state that. Yeah. And the fastest way to cool yourself down isn't to drink water. It's to pour water on your head or the back of your yeah. neck. Yeah. And I say that as one who has overheated on a run before. Okay. I was in high school and decided no pain no gain you know being 15 years old i was really at the height of my intellectual capacity so to speak <laughs> you know went out for a run i decided i'll force myself to make it all 20 miles i'll go out 10 miles you that did way a 20 I, mile run in high school like i said peak of my intellectual capacity Man, and then run back another 10 you can probably see where this is going about five <laughs> miles out i was staggering didn't know what to do didn't have any water fountains nearby so it wasn't a park um so i would say one, you know, when that does happen, your first goal is to cool yourself down. You know, run into a gas station, dial zero collect, call somebody who can come pick you up. Yeah. Um, and then I would say ever since that day, I've, I've tended to make my long runs loops in the summertime. Yeah. That way, if something does happen, if it's a five-mile loop, I'm never more than two miles or so from help. If I'm in a park, you know, there's other people around. And then I also like to do long runs on shaded trails because that goes a long way in keeping yourself cool um, as opposed to just hitting the pavement, you know, and kind of being stranded out there by yourself. For sure, for sure. Um, yeah, the, the, the final thought I'll offer here um, is, is given all of these things that we talk about that compromise your training, um, I think that when you're planning what race you want to do, you should also take that into account. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I have resolved I'm not doing any more October marathons. Really, um, and the reason why is because because your your training is compromised in yeah. the South in August and September, um, and the month of October is this great month where it starts to cool off, and you can do some really really good training in October. Um, in 2016, getting ready for the New York City Marathon, I had the month of October to do my final week month of training, and it was a great month. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2017. Uh, Chicago comes right at the beginning of October. And I had some other problems going in Chicago as well. But I didn't get to ever have that, that nice, cool month, you know, to, to, to actually to actually do that. So, um, yeah, I, I recently was trading an email with somebody who was trying to decide between going for Chicago or the California International Marathon in December. And I said, all things being equal, which they're not, but, but all things being equal, I would suggest you do California National Marathon because that means that you can get ready throughout the summer and then you'll have October and November to re- when, when it's starting to cool off to have some really, really high-quality workouts to prepare you for the California National Marathon in early December. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say that my final thought is, is make these adjustments by all means, but also plan your racing calendar a little bit around these sort of bigger things. Right. right. And I, I can definitely second that, being one whose fall marathon has been in October the last three years. It's, <laughs> it's, it's such a tease that you start tapering the, the week it starts cooling off, and then you don't make it back until like the first week of December, so it's, it's brutal. Very good. You, you missed the best part of the year. Yeah. Yeah, that's no good. Um, well, Patrick, I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Yeah, enjoy it.
Um, and be safe in the heat, everybody. Thanks for listening. And that'll do it for another installment of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Make sure that you reach out to us on Twitter, at Pleasant Podcast, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Pleasant Podcast. Reach out to our sponsor, ITL Coaching and Performance, at ITL Coaching on Twitter, at itlcoaching.com, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash ITL Coaching and Performance. And don't forget about our other sponsor, Casey the Travel Planner. You can find her on Facebook at facebook.com slash MEV. You can drop her an email at caseytravelplanner at gmail.com. That's K-A-C-I-E travelplanner at gmail.com. Or just go to her website, caseytravelplanner.com. On behalf of Patrick Ollander, this is George Darden. Thanks again for joining us on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. See you next time.